now Zoom lady. We about to be talking about some queer stuff. Is that okay? Are you gonna be homophobic this time? Hi, gay people. <laughs> okay, she didn't shut off. Good, good, good. We've good. we've we've changed her ways. I know. What what growth within just seven days time? <laughs> I love her for that, you know. She heard us talk about um, it came from the closet and manhunt last week, and she was like, "Whoa, never mind." She was like, "Maybe I'm gay." <laughs> I believe it. Um, Zoom lady Zoom. and Siri fall in love. I was literally just gonna say that. I was literally just gonna say that. <laughs> when we read each other's minds through the computer, <laughs> my favorite. We do that a lot. We really do. It's it's just bestie connection. We don't even have to be looking at each other to do it. Like that one time we, I was like, I want to read something wicked this way comes, and you were like, I'm holding something wicked this way comes in my hands, and I was like, I'm holding something wicked this way comes in my hands. But hey, 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 um, I'm Liza. I'm Riz. And this is the Little Sleep Much Reading Podcast. And finally, from so little sleeping and so much reading, his brain dried up and he went completely out of his mind. It's kind of always gay day. It's always gay day. But these last two, ep- these two episodes, this episode last week, especially gay. Especially gay. I just completely dissociated. Just fully. That was nice. That was real nice. Yeah. And we kind of both dissociated a little. It was, you know, as soon as that, uh, that chai hits my tongue, I'm gone. Like, delicious. What is it? What, mm. a, you, you're a chai, iced chai girl. Ice chai. I never used to be, but I found that if I drink coffee of any kind while I'm at work, I get the anxiety jitters. Sure. So now I like I have to have a hot girl drink, obviously. So right. I I have to get like chai or something. That makes sense. Have you ever had a London fog? No. It's just black, like Earl Grey tea mm-hmm. with a little bit of milk in it. Ooh. And you can get it hot or iced. But if you get it iced, it's extra hot. And it's a, if you get it iced, it's extra hot, girl. It's extra gay, um, even though it's extra cold. But it just feels very, like, sophisticated and British to drink. Like, <laughs> Love that. Make any tea. A tip for anyone out there. Take any tea you like mm-hmm. and put some good milk in it, some good oat milk, a little bit of cream or something, and ice it. Delicious hot girl drink. Delicious hot girl drink. A little sleepy time. A little sleepy time. <gasps> Imagine a meal. an iced sleepy time. <sighs> Clench your thirst and then <laughs> fall asleep. That's what I want. Because there's something a hot drink is never gonna clench my thirst. No, uh-uh. never. Oh, apple Imagine cider. Drinking uh, a, 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 an iced sleepy time. <laughs>
That would be so me. <laughs> that new new personality trait just dropped. Excuse me, I just had my sleepy time tea. I have to go to sleep now. <laughs> I wish we had. I wish we <laughs> should be like a hospital where there's on call rooms for you to sleep. <laughs> Hey, how many people have you found asleep in your store? It's just a lot. How about you? <laughs> I've yet to find anyone. I think the fact that we don't really have seating anymore, except for in the cafe, is probably helpful. Yeah, just a lot of people um, just sleeping. Some people will be falling asleep standing up, which usually is an effect of, I think, the fact that it's very sad, but that, like, there's a lot of people on heroin. So that's a common thing. We've had people sleep in the bathroom before. Um, that's probably also also a heroin related yeah. um, thing. But yeah, I imagine if there used to be like comfy chairs, people sleeping all the time. We have big comfy chairs. But I also think a, a lot of people, my store is kind of in the uppity area. So a lot of people who come in are very uppity to the point where, like, I could not, I don't even know if they sleep at their own houses. You know right. I mean? Like, right. you look at those people and you're like, they've never worn PJs. No. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. The dynamics of the different. It's really interesting. Um, really should be studied. I really think there's something that needs to be studied about what happens to people's brain chemistry when they enter airspace i would like to know because it's so it 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 just doesn't occur in indie bookstores in the same way it does in a and it doesn't occur in any retail store in the same way it doesn't like every retail store has its drama like whether it be like walmart or target or i'm sure even like places like urban outfitters or whatever but there's something that just occurs to people when they in that enter that is just completely unhinged just so insane they just like like it's it's hard to act like you know everything when you're in a target yeah but when you come into a you're like well i know that this book exists so i know of this book so and why don't you have it <laughs> have you guys ever heard of uh this guy i think his name is like william shakespeare <laughs> hate when a white man straight white man specifically will like tell me something that's like very just common and i'll start spelling it for me and i'm like thank you sir i actually have a degree in this <laughs> but nice of you to spell that for me i mean like a fucking idiot i can't spell anything so i would appreciate that <laughs> but i know exactly what you mean you know what i mean uh, so funny people are so funny um that's why all booksellers should get paid way more than they get paid because you have to actually use so much of your brain to be a bookseller because people are just so stupid that you really have to just have a lot of book knowledge <laughs> to be a able lot to of help brain them. power it's a lot of brain power you gotta have like your problem solving yep button switched on your memory has to be switched on so you know where you saw it or you remember, like, the author of a book that someone can't remember the author to. Um, you got to have, like, your your physique has to be pretty nice because we're carrying big boxes. We're doing lots of squats. Yeah. We got to reach up tall. 
I can't I'm I can barely reach the top shelf when I'm standing on our stools I know a lot of that a lot of I walk like 20 plus thousand steps a day sometimes often yeah a lot of steps patience you gotta have patience patience um you gotta you gotta be fairly organized yeah uh you've got to have a high level of tolerance for bullshit Mm -hmm. (laughs) i'm not i'm not good at that one no hey we try our best i laugh at people all the time and i don't mean (laughs) me too and again it's specifically straight white men they'll just say something so silly and i'll start laughing and they get like really mad and i'm like i'm I'm like I'm like, I'm so sorry. You just said something insane. Like, I can't help it. I gotta, like, lie and be like, something funny popped in my head. <laughs> it's so sad. That's gonna be my uh, so bad. So bad. I literally have tears in my eyes. <laughs> it's so funny. It's so funny. Um, we need a TV show like Superstore that's about a bookstore. That'd be so funny. That's weird that you say that because just yesterday I was like, this is like horror store. Horror store, yes. We do like a horror store type book about and it's got like bookshelves and you can like open the face outs and they yeah. like say creepy things. <gasps> you should make this as like a little passion project. Is Grady Hendrix gay? I don't know. That's a good question. I would love for for that to be the case. Right? That's something I want to look into. There's no answer to the question about Grady. Grady Hendrix. But. I don't. um, Yeah, I don't know. Marissa, there's no real answer. He's on a list of LGBTQ plus LGBTQ novels. Strangequeerthings.com. But there's no confirmation of this. So let's not speculate. But what a treat that would be if he was. Horror keeps feeling gayer and gayer. I would agree, especially after reading It Comes from the Closet. Everything I think about, I'm like, oh, like I'm connecting it to queerness. Yes, 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 yes. Me delicious. I want to hear about your, I want, I want to hear about all your findings. So yeah, if you guys don't remember from last week, or maybe you skipped last week's episode, which I don't know why you would do that, considering this episode title is going to say part two in it, but maybe you did, and who am I to judge? So I won't. Um, But for this episode, I continued our conversation on It Came From The Closet by reading the second half of it. And Liza read the first half last week, and now I'm going to talk about some of my favorite things. So let me see this real quick. Oh, boy. So I got a lot of, which, okay. Also, I will say, looking at the table of contents for this book, you you don't really, they're all pretty much hits. There was... I think a couple titles that I didn't of uh, movies that I didn't recognize, but they sounded great, and I would love to indulge myself in them. 
but um so yeah so I think that yeah so anyways I had some hits I had Candyman um I had Nightmare on Elm Street I had Halloween I had Child's Play I had Get Out and Us which is wild one thing that I found really interesting looking at the whole list so I should say as I'm recording this I didn't read the first part that Liza read so I only read my half and looking at like Liza's Liza has pet cemetery and the reason why I'm bringing that up is only because I thought it was so interesting how Stephen King the the king of horror only has one movie in here and um that essay is two movies in one so it's the ring and pet cemetery and i'm just like of all the the things that they could have picked for stephen king they picked pet cemetery how interesting is that um so i'm really excited to to go back and read that one i did you want do you want to know like this the i won't spoil like the actual essay but it did have to do with like if I'm remembering correctly, like the resurrection quality of it, I think. But to be honest, that's it's interesting that you say that too, because the ring part is way more memorable in my head than the pet cemetery part. That's so interesting. Yeah. Um, because I think that you can, mm, I was going to say, I think that you can find queerness in a lot of Stephen King's things. But also, maybe it fits more into the books than it does to the movies. Yeah. Which is a whole other interesting thing that we need to talk about. But um, I just thought that that was interesting that there wasn't much of King in here at all. And what does that say for Mr. King? Hmm. Much to think about, love. So the essay that I read that creeped me out the most, which this book, I don't, it's not really meant to creep you out. It's just like, I don't know. It's just like collections um, and thoughts on horror and horror theory. So like, I guess, so in content, it's not really supposed to creep you out, but there was this one that freaked me the F out. And it was the essay on Nightmare on Elm Street, which is called The Trail of His Flames. In that essay, the the writer talks about how he had this stint where he was on, I think like either an anxiety or a depression medication that was causing him to hallucinate that he was setting himself on fire while he was like awake he would be having these hallucinations of setting himself on fire and that is just the freakiest thing to me for whatever reason and I think that a lot of people think about Nightmare on Elm Street and it's it's yeah, like Freddy Krueger is scary and his knives for hands are scary and being tortured in your dreams and you can't sleep, that's like mentally draining and, and scary. The thing that when I was a kid, I used to find scary, the most scary about that 
is that you're telling people your truth and absolutely no one around you is believing you. And instead they are just like making it and like by telling them they're making it harder for you to get out of your situation. Um, you know, like when Johnny Depp's character, his parents take the phone off the hook so she can't call him. And when her dad's not believing her and when her mom puts bars on the windows and she's like, oh, Freddy Krueger was a bad man and blah, 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 blah. That always scared me. Um, but but the, the image that scared me, which this essay reminded me of and I had completely forgot about, the scariest, like, that is scary when you think about it on a deeper level. It's like, I feel like I bring Rosemary's Baby up all the time, but in Rosemary's Baby, like, yeah, it's scary that she's literally giving birth to the, uh, the, the devil. But the really scary thing about Rosemary's Baby is that there is a huge conspiracy happening that she doesn't know about. And that, like, the people who you trust in your life, every single one of them could be going against you. That's really terrifying to me. But the scariest image in Rosemary's Baby is probably, like, when you see the face of the devil. That, that part's really scary. And so, back to Nightmare on Elm Street. The scary part, when no one's listening to her. But the scary image to me was after she sets him on fire, after Nancy sets Freddy Krueger on fire and she sees like his flame trail, like he like ran from her and she follows it and she finds him on top of her mom in bed, like setting her mom on fire. That part scares the crap out of me scares the crap out of me absolutely terrifying no one can convince me otherwise ever um yeah but another thing that i really really liked about this essay is it's important to talk about what's happening it's important you know this this essay did a good thing of like it kind of did like a side-by-side comparison of this is what happened in the movie this day this scene but this is what was happening in my life that I can relate to that and like in my Friday the or in my Nightmare on Elm Street moment which is so which was good um but at the end it does this really really interesting thing where it talks about what wasn't said and how if certain things were said in the film it would have changed completely kind of um it would have changed the story a lot for example when friday the 13th why do i keep saying friday the 13th when nightmare on elm street was was created the script was written and everything um it explicitly said in it that freddy krueger was a a a pedophile a child molester and if you think about it 
the movie as it is right now, there's so many plot holes in it, it doesn't make sense. In the movie, currently, it says that he was, quote, a filthy child murderer. And that he got he got off on a technicality. And then the parents hunted him down and and set him on fire. Which is like, okay, cool, but why are all these, like, why are these parents okay with still living in this neighborhood when there's a child murderer, like, like a serial killer child murderer? And why would you still live there after the fact? Like, that's horrific. And I think um, if if it was, which they, I think that they thought that it would be a little bit too disturbing and explicit for it to be for him to be a a, a pedophile, just flat out in the movie. But if you think about it, that would make more sense as to like why no one's believing. Nancy when she's saying she's having these nightmares and these issues because if she was younger and you know there's a a child molester in the area and who knows what kids he's done what to maybe her parents are just like oh these like repressed memories are coming up to her again and that's why no one's believing her and that's why they're putting bars on the window because they're like, oh, it'll just make her feel better and make it'll make her feel safer. And that's why her parents, that's why everyone still lives in the area because, I mean, because it's not wounds that you can actually see on the kids. And I feel like a lot of times when bad things happen to kids, the parents are like, well, it would be worse if we just changed their whole lives and uproot them. So, um, so yeah, so this essay talked about how if things were just told how they were supposed to be it would make the whole story make sense and he related that to his own situation which was so interesting to to think about like what if queer kids can say that they were queer from the jump and they didn't feel like they had to act a certain way and and even like in the social media age nowadays when you see younger qu- kids who are openly queer i feel as though most of the time the people who are like the kids seems to be thriving and the people who are mad about it are like karens <laughs> But yeah, so I was thinking a lot about that. And then the essay on, I keep flipping to the front so I can tell you exactly what their names are too. The essay on Get Out was called Black Body Snatchers. And this one was interesting too, because it was about um, a black gay man who was living in Salt Lake City, Utah, while he was doing a job or whatever. And just like the way that people treated him, not, I mean, 
for being black first of all and then they would find out he was gay like even the one um other black person who he worked with as soon as she found out he was gay she like made a comment and was like oh like what a waste um yeah something very rude like that i thought that one was particularly interesting because at one point if you don't know utah is like the hub of mormonism and so get out was kind of like the perfect movie to talk about in relation to this because of the weird like fakeness that is cultiness so at one point these two mormon women come to talk to this man about becoming mormon and he quotes uh the book of mormon right that's what their like bible is okay so he quotes the book of mormon and he says it says something about how God turned their skin black. I don't remember if it was like after they did something wrong or something like that. And so he said to them, why would I want to like join this thing that is so that so clearly says hurtful things and is against me? And they're just kind of like they they like they're like, oh, clearly you're like being hostile or whatever. And they like hurry scurry out of his house. Um, and that one had me thinking so much just about, about like my own self and like being raised Catholic and how like I used to want to be like a saint and a nun and now I grow up and I'm like, cool, but like Catholicism is very much against everyone who's not part of this line that you're expected to be if you like deviate from the line at all you're automatically like not welcome and so for me even just like being just being born a woman you're automatically something you're automatically behind the line in catholicism just because you're a woman to be poor behind the line to be born to parents who aren't married you're behind the line to be born to i don't know to be born gay or queer or trans or um, black, you're automatically, for whatever reason, just behind the line. And um, so that one made me think about that a lot. And how, like, in Get Out, when the main character feels uncomfortable he looks to the other black people around him for comfort and they still just give him like this strange like wall of whiteness um and that like immediately goes in i don't know I think it's really interesting to grow up in the technology age of, I think for a while in the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, there was like a good point of, I want to fit in. Everyone has to fit in. We all want to fit in. If you don't fit in, you're like, 
not with it. But some at some point there was some kind of deviation to that because when when I was growing up, it was like you want to be different. Everyone wants to be different. No one wants to be the same. Like no one I can't anyone who tried to be like somebody else, it was often like so we saw through that. Everyone had to be different. Everyone wanted to have like the coolest thing. I don't know why. Everyone wanted to be like a trendsetter. I don't know why that was how it was when I was growing up, but that's simply just the way that it was. And so like while this idea of like otherness is at play, there's something really interesting that happened when when me and Liza were growing up where it's just that like, I don't know if, Like, the idea of otherness does still work in a weird way. Like, if I walk into a room and it's full of men, I'm immediately trying to look at each of those men and judge which one would help me if if something bad happened. I used to do it when I worked at City Hall and I would step onto an elevator that was full of men. I would either look for the man who I knew and if there wasn't one, I would look for which man looked the least threatening, but threatening enough to protect me if if something were to happen. And so, like, otherness still is very much at play, but it's just not the same as it used to be in some weird way. Because, again, like, there was some kind of shift where growing up I wasn't I don't think any of us were really concerned with fitting in I think we were more concerned with like who who's the different one and I don't know why that was it's a little bit like not like other girls cringy but it's fine we can't control who we are sometimes so then I want to briefly touch on a couple of my the essays in my half were very much about masking. Halloween was a very good example of that. And 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 to talk about Halloween really quick, that one had probably my favorite opening thus far. Um, it it explains the iconic opening scene of Halloween. You know where the camera is like looking through windows and walking along the house and it's the viewer's point of view like you become you are looking through the eyes of the killer um and he as he goes into the house and uh, a young very attractive teenage boy is like putting on a shirt he's very toned he's he's walking down the stairs and the this the camera passes him and keeps going up the stairs and it goes into this room and you see this girl and she's beautiful and she's doing her hair and she's topless and of course she gets stabbed um and it's the viewer doing it in this weird way and then he comes the the camera comes downstairs and then the parents come home and they're like, Michael, what are you doing? And they don't take the blade out of the boy's hand. They instead take his mask off first. 
And then the essay is just like, Halloween is a coming out story. It is a story of like unmasking and when are you going to take off the mask and hiding behind your mask and what a mask can do for you. And, and it's such an interesting way to put it. Um, I also think a lot about how when I was reading this essay, I was thinking a lot about how um, Halloween was like originally titled the baby still the babysitter massacres or something like that. And I also think, you know, the killing of a babysitter is in some way like a closing of a chapter and an, an exiting of youth which I think is really interesting for like a, a queer theory in a lot of cases and kind of puberty being when you're more aware of like, perhaps my mask isn't gonna be on for very much longer. Um, and it, I think it is much easier to mask things when you're a kid and then you get to be an adult and everyone's like, when are you gonna get a boyfriend? And you're like, huh? <laughs> with that <laughs> yeah and I also think the last one I want to touch on really quick I'm deciding between two because it um okay so there's an essay called sight unseen and it is about the Blair Witch Project which um who else saw that when they were really young and your parents were like it's real it's real and like you were too young to know that that was just them lying to you, um, and 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 this, the writer of this essay saw it when it first came out, and or not? No, they didn't see it when it first came out. Now that I think about it, no, but many people saw it when it first came out, and they literally handed out like missing persons flyers, and they made you believe that this was real first off very rude of them to do that um but anyway so yeah this essay was on Blair Witch and they talk a lot about um how the Blair Witch is like this spectral ghost or whatever something like that and how there's, there's something about expectation here and um, beauty in a way. And there's something about like, I don't, I can't remember if you ever actually see the Blair Witch in the movie at all. Um, but she is, I know she is described in the movie. And there's something, there's something about her being ugly because she's not the ideal look of feminism. Um, which was super interesting, especially this essay is written by a trans person. Um,
And there's also something about it being a, a ghost story in a way. And how like um for trans people sometimes it can almost feel like part of your life is now like a ghost story or something like that which is so interesting um but i'm gonna read just the end of this essay the very last paragraph of course heather josh and mike are all alive but the witches too I imagine her trapped in that wood, waiting to ensnare naive hikers for trekking too close. Or not trapped at all, but choosing to remain there where mythology can't touch. It almost seems it, it almost seems utopian to exist perpetually unbothered and to vanquish all who attempt to ruin it. To never be found and thus to never be held accountable for appearances. Listen. If you were to ask me to my face, I'd lie and tell you, of course, she's the villain of the story. But here on this page, I'll say it. The Blair Witch is no monster. The woods are not a trap. And if this were my film, there'd be no camera left for anyone else to find. Doesn't that like it? That one like really pulled my heartstrings. Um, and I just I just keep thinking of. So I'm sure Liza can say the same thing for her section, but so many of these writers in my section were talking about how they relate to the, like the quote monsters of these horror films. Um, and then that gets me into the discussion of being othered again. Doesn't everyone feel othered? So then don't we all in some way relate to the monster always? To the, to the slasher always. And like. Sure everyone wants to be the final girl. Who doesn't want to be the final girl. Are you actually the final girl. No. But yeah. All really interesting things. Yeah also. I, I don't know why I was just thinking about this. Is Hannibal Lecter also gay. That's an interesting question. He feels a little he feels a little bit gay to me. He does feel a little gay to me. <laughs> gay. Oh. Pansexual. Hey. Good for Hannibal. Do his thing. Or at least he's pansexual in Hannibal, the the TV show. It looks like the TV show is very queer. But I don't know. He seems kind of gay even from the movie. Right. I've read the book. Have you? No, I haven't. But it's just like, what a funny thing. Like, he seems gay. Like, nothing ever. <laughs> like, he doesn't say anything. Um, there's a lot to unpack, actually, with that statement. Because, like, you're never worried that he's going to, like, do something. Like, he you're never worried that he's gonna sexually assault Clarice right and that's why I'm like is that why I think that right and that that's... in a way I feel like her being with him she is safe which is like which right 
that's such an interesting like you're never really scared about that I don't know that's really interesting Uh, then also there's much to be said like are they purposely like queer coding him because they want him to feel monstrous right which right 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 but also yeah i don't know other i'm just thinking about jodie foster is gay i didn't know that yeah and i think you kind of can pick up on that a little bit i mean i think jodie foster feels gay in anything that she does (laughs) but like maybe i was also like picking up on that as a queerness in the movie too right right yeah that's really interesting much to think about love to think about there's so many movies that i'm like when are they gonna have a part two to this and talk about these movies i know crazy crazy wild silly goofy insane so when are you guys picking up your copy I know. If you don't have it already, like, what's really going on? I'm glad you did it. At this point, we expected you guys to have done your homework and picked up a copy. Disappointed. Especially because we didn't get to talk about so many essays. Like, Marissa and I each read 13 essays, and we each only talked about, like, three. Mm-hmm. So you're missing a lot. Um, I, th- I also thought it was silly spooky that the, if you split it in half, it was 13 each. I thought that was so fun. Silly goofy. I don't like that. Um, and they didn't even know we were going to do that. Maybe they did. They were like, we got to actually do 13 essays. They were like, add one more. Because <laughs> we got to do it so if you split it in half, it's 13. Genius. Because my There was actually only 12 essays, but I also read the introduction by Joe Velassi. So that's how it ended up being 13 each. That counts, in my opinion. That does count. What did you shred? I shred um, this tiny, cute little book. Um, cute's not a you know good word to just. It's cute uh, physically, but it's called "The Monster of Endelhaven" by Jennifer Giesbrecht. And I saw this. I found this book because I saw it on a lot of queer horror book talk videos. But I didn't know if we have, I would even have it on my bookstore. And I was like, oh, I already have this, which is The Dangers of Smoking in Bed, which by uh, Mariana Enriquez, which I did read and I did like, and it was very horrific. Um, but then I was shelving horror books and I was putting something next to this and I found it and I was like, ah! um, and then I started reading this. And then I said, you know what? I actually want to talk about this instead of the other one. Because not every short story in Mariana Enriquez's book was inherently queer, which like is not to erase her queerness, but like some of the books like just were not covering, even though she's a queer author, like some of the books weren't covering queer topics. Uh, But this book right away, I was like, you are gay. Um, So that's why I did that. Um, Also, the other reason I was very excited to get this book in my tiny little grubby little hands was the front blurb is, says a black tide of perversity violence and lush writing i loved it by joe hill that's a blurb by mr joe hill himself and i said okay sign me up if joe hill did the blurb 
I'm reading it. And if he thought it was a black tide of perversity, sign me up. Um, it also has a, a blurb from um, Paul Tremblay. So you knew it, you knew it was gonna be um, a good one for the horror lovers. But this book reminded me of a lot of other queer media. The two that stood out to me the most being Frankenstein and Picture of Dorian Gray. And this book was very gothic, very dark. I had also, I just watched Corpse Bride last night. Um, and the like sort of setting of this kind of reminded me of that like muted dark. Like it's dark the entire time in Corpse Bride even though some of it does technically take place during the day. And this book takes place in like the Arctic area. Um, and so it's winter, so it's dark all the time, which I also just thought was so cool. Um, but yeah, the gothicness of it reminded me of the picture of Dorian Gray. And one of the main characters, Florian, reminded me also a lot of Dorian Gray. And just the tragic romance of it reminded me of Dorian Gray. Dorian Gray is my favorite, one of my favorite classics. I'd put it in the top five for sure. Um, and I remember just feeling as though, feeling it was so queer right away. And I read that in high school. So I think we ended up having a discussion about it maybe being queer, but not even really. Cause like I went to public high school, like we maybe brought it up but I, I don't know how much we actually talked about it, but I just remember reading it and thinking it was so queer and thinking it was so sad and the ro the queer romance of it being so sad in a way. And this book reminded me of that aspect of it. Um, and then I do want to talk about how this book reminds me a lot of Frankenstein and how anything with a monster comes from Frankenstein. This we know. Um, thank you, Mary. Um, and how, okay, what does that mean then? If the first ever monster in literature, in horror, was Frankenstein's monster, then what, and every monster now is based off of Frankenstein's monster. And if Frankenstein's monster is queer, what does that mean about every other monster since then? And sort of going back to what Marissa was saying about how it's kind of really like beautiful in a way for queer people specifically to relate to the monsters in horror and sort of like how nobody really, like that one author who's talking about the Blair Witch Project, like nobody wants to admit it, but if they're speaking their truth, like they in a lot of horror might be rooting for the monster. And that brings me back to, the essay I loved in my section, which is about Godzilla. I'm an author, Ryan, relating to Godzilla. So it had me thinking a lot about that. I do want to jump quickly to say, I then was like, I remembered Frankenstein seeming gay, but then I was like, did I just totally fucking make that up? Did not. We definitely talked about it when we studied Frankenstein in college, Marissa and I. Um, and then... I was like looking at it online and there's a lot of different ways in which Frankenstein is queer. Um, so here's a little queer history lesson about Frankenstein. Firstly being Mary Shelley was presumably queer. Um, 
we obviously don't have like she never came out like we don't have like specific like we can't say can't speak for her um but it's generally presumed that she was a queer woman um the other fun fact about this is that john whale who directed the boris karloff frankenstein which is how most people actually associate Frankenstein. It never says in Mary Shelley's text that Frankenstein looks, Frankenstein's monster looks the way he does. Um, so when you picture Frankenstein's monster, you're picturing the monster from the movie John Whale created and Boris Karloff's, you know, um, portrayal of, of him. John Whale was one of the first openly gay people in Hollywood. So you have a queer woman writing about this and then you have a queer man making it into the first movie about it um this also a lot of this comes from um i read this article there's a new movie out on shutter so if anybody's listening to this and has shutter um it's called queer for fear and it's kind of like a cinematic version of it came from the closet um it's queer people talking about queer horror so that's a little fun fact. They do talk about Frankenstein in that. And back to it. Frankenstein's monster being, there's a lot of queer layers to it. And I don't know if I'll even be able to dive into all of them or be able to remember all of them. Um, Frankenstein's monster himself being like diff, uh, different. Where did my... Oh, sorry about that. My computer freaked out. Um, Frankenstein's monster himself being like different, uh, being a monster is potentially an allegory for homosexuality. Um, also, Marissa, what's Frankenstein based on? Is it the sh Prometheus? Yeah. The modern Prometheus. It's a modern Prometheus, which is also gay. <laughs> um, a lot of people will say too that Dr. Frankenstein creating the monster is kind of gay um, and that Frankenstein himself Dr. Frank, Dr. Frankenstein is gay because of this this one I have a little bit more trouble with because not trouble with like that's totally fine and I also don't think this is the reading of it in a lot of versions but in a lot of versions of Frankenstein he's kind of basing Frankenstein off of his dead brother. He's, he's breaking Frankenstein's monster off of his dead brother. So that's something I have like a little bit like, oh, I don't know if that's the full reading of it, but it definitely could be. And also like he is creating like this very like, at least the way Mary Shelley describes it, like muscular man. Um, and if we look at Rocky Horror Picture Show, which is basically Frankenstein, Frankenfurter is trans and queer and creates this like gorgeous bodied um creature that's basically frank's frankenstein <laughs> um, um the other thing though that in my reading of it not so much the original text but in later versions is igor and dr frankenstein being seeming kind of gay to me <laughs> Um, I don't know what it is, but they do seem kind of gay. And that is what I really get from the monster of um, Eldenhaven. Um, if you're wondering why I think that part of it could have to do with there's a really weird version of Frankenstein 
with James McAvoy and Daniel Radcliffe, um, where James McAvoy plays Dr. Frankenstein and Daniel Radcliffe plays Igor. And it is just very gay to me. It is very gorgeous to me and it is very gay to me. Um, so there's a kind of maybe how my mind got twisted in that way. Um, but that definitely feels that sort of relationship feels like it's coming up in this book. And the main thing that feels like Frankenstein to me in this text is the monstrous aspect of both our main characters, Florian and Johan. And they are both monsters in different ways. And they are both monsters because they are different from everybody else they're surrounded by. They're both monsters in a way the other understands and sees, but also one is a monster in a way that looks socially acceptable and the other isn't, which I think is also an interesting concept of, especially, I mean, not to, you know, this is going to be gay, you know, it right off the bat, but like these men are in a queer relationship and um it's almost like florian even though i mean if we're talking stereotypes definitely seems more gay than um johan but like he's perceived as socially okay to these people and he is actually the one at first brushing off the homosexual like the gay the gay panic that he is feeling for um, Johan, whereas Johan's kind of basically like accepting it right off the bat. Whereas Johan as a monster is the kind that is rejected by society. So that's just a sort of interesting dynamic there too. Um, very weird, very cool. Like I said, very much giving the picture of Dorian Gray, very much giving like, wanting something you can't have um their infatuation with each other is really interesting to me and i thought really gorgeously described especially johan's infatuation with florian um and like i said tragic in a lot of ways but also like at some points like this book had me like kicking my little legs while i was reading it i was like <laughs> like gay people um but also like just kind of heartbroken but also, like, these people, neither of these men are good people. But then what do we do with that information? Because uh, to make a long motherfucking story short, and not really a spoiler again, but they're both magic and different. They, they both have a different kind of magic. Um, so Johan can't die. And he's like a murderer. Um, he likes to kill people. Florian is a sorcerer who can like bend people's minds to their will to his will and he's scheming this really evil plot and i was going back and forth because at first you're like oh my god this guy he's a murderer first of all uh jennifer great descriptions of gore and death beautiful descriptions of it in this book and you're like well this guy's a killer like he's the villain but then very quickly you're like johan is not the villain at all it's got to be Florian but then you're like also like rooting for this love story but they're also sort of like beating on each other like it's it's a it's a very complicated um dynamic that's going on here and 
there's a woman involved too, which also reminds me of Frankenstein because at the point where, where Frankenstein's monster attacks, I don't remember her name, but Dr. Frankenstein's, is it his fiance? Um, that being an aspect of it too, and like the sort of jealousy, but also like, is everybody just giving big bisexual energy because everything seems just very like, ooh, I'm attracted to these different people. Um, but yeah, this book is very like grotesque, but also very sexy in a way that doesn't feel fetishy at all. And I think it just has that sort of gothic thing to it that I think is also very like, Gothic things just feel gay. <laughs> like, I don't know how to describe it, but they do. Like, like gothic women feel gay, too. Um, and vampires feel gay. And vampires are not gothic. Um, and it also kind of is giving Anne Rice interview with a vampire, which is very gay. Like, everything... I don't know if queer people just have great taste, and so we're like, okay, it's going to be gothic because anything gothic is going to be good. Um, or if there's something kind of spooky gay happening there, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but that's how I felt. That's how I feel. Um, this book is really, 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 really a lot of fun. Um, and I'm surprised that it doesn't come up on more lists of like other kinds of horror. Cause I've only ever seen this on queer horror lists. Like I'm very surprised that it doesn't come up on Gothic horror, TikTok that doesn't come up on monster, um, creature featured book lists. Um, those lists where it's like books you can finish in one sitting because this is very short like I just feel like more people should be talking about it I also don't think it's very new at all um unless it is and I'm just like confused by life it's from 2019 so it's not new I also can never get over this little blurb they have to put in the front of all fiction books that say this is a work of fiction all the characters organizations and events portrayed in this novel are either products of the author's imagination or used fictitiously there's no way in the world where anything that happens in this book could happen in real life. <laughs> like, I'm like, why? Why do we have to get that disclaimer every time? Um, but yeah, this this book is very gritty and lovely and 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 yucky and beautiful and tragic and scary and uh, gay. So I recommend it to everybody. And that is sort of fun, too. If you read both Marissa and I's queer picks, you get two really fun, different kinds of fun horror. You get, like, a monster gothic horror, and you get a post-apocalypse, like, action horror. And I think that's really fun. You get zombies and, well, they're kind of like zombies in Man Hunt-ish. And Frankenstein's monster-esque uh, folks. So yeah, what a good and fun and fresh time. Aren't we so nice to you that we give you, um, different options? Yeah. And also that we never gatekeep, you know, we're never going to gatekeep a book. No. I hate when you see that when you're, see like someone on booktube or like book 
Instagram or whatever. And they're like, I wanted to gatekeep this, but I'm going to tell you about it. And you're like, okay, why would you ever want to keep a book from like, if you really care about that author, why wouldn't you want to tell everybody about it? Right. Don't you want to talk to people about it? When I was a teen, I literally used to cry all the time. I was like, I read all these good books and I have no one to talk to. I would never gatekeep a book. Never, ever, ever. No, that's that's hot girls don't lowercase G girls do that. Not not capital G girls. (laughs) So crazy. We're crazy girls. We had such fun times talking about queer horror. We love it. We love queer horror. Keep making queer horror. Make more queer horror. And if there's not enough queer horror for you, just do a reparative reading of every other piece of horror and make that shit gay. You can do it. You can do it. Where there's a will, there's a way. Right. Right. Go go look at your favorite movie that you used to watch over and over and over when you were a kid. Probably gay. Probably gay. Probably gay. Lovely. Hey, the month of October and the spooky ooky vibes are not over. No, never. We got more and more coming. We have two more episodes left. Mm-hmm. What are we doing next week? Next week, we are doing Slasher. Slasher. One of our- slasher will never go out of style it will never not be famous i feel like i had a book picked out for slasher and i can't for the life of me remember what it was like i feel like i already had one in my possession i'm looking at my books and i'm like what was it if we go back in our texts you can probably find it but we we text so much that i don't know if you're gonna be able to do that I can search, but I'm like, I'm just going to search slasher in our text and see what comes up. Yeah. But um, what are you reading, reading Slasher? I'm reading, actually, I believe it's YA Slasher, which is fun because I also kind of associate Slasher with YA. Um, I just feel like a lot of Slasher movies are made for teen, are about teenagers or made for teenagers. Um, so I'm reading There's Someone Inside Your House by Stephanie Perkins, which is a slasher young adult novel from um, like from 2017. And there was a film adaptation of it, I believe. Yes, that it's on Netflix. So maybe I'll get a chance to watch the movie after I read the book. That Well, I'm reading something. You're going to read something. Got I may, I mean, you know what? Maybe I'll just go buy either In the Miso Soup or I will buy Crown in a Cornfield. I'll buy one of those and I'll read one of those unless I find whatever this other book was. Yeah. I can. I also found us talking about it, but I didn't. You, we also mentioned Cirque Berserk. I don't have that one, though. I swear there was one that I had. Yeah. Well, people. You're going to get a cheeky little surprise next Thursday. Surprise. Book. Surprise, I'm reading Slasher. Surprise. Um, we love you. Very much. And kisses. And thank you for listening. And we'll see you next week. Peace out.